And there's Carrie Smith. Say hi, Carrie. Hi. <laughs> I mistakenly put the camera directly on you, oh. so you can do the intro. Okay. Hello, and welcome to Daily Kefefe on Un Oh, sorry. Welcome to Kefefe Break on Unsafe Space. Today is Friday, March 13th. It's Friday the 13th, Carrie. Oh, it's Friday the 13th. Well, yes. welcome everyone. We're glad you're joining us. If it's your first time here, this is a show that we do live on Mondays and Fridays uh, at this time, and then we occasionally sometimes do throughout the week still. Uh, we also do a show called Deprogrammed, and yesterday, if you haven't seen it, we did an interview with uh, Lil Ragamuffin. Uh, her name's Jennifer. She runs a, her own business. It's a shop called Lil Ragamuffin. You can find her on Instagram and Facebook, and uh, she does sewing patterns, and we talked to her about uh, the SJW infiltration into the sewing world but specifically about them targeting her for one of her patterns um anyway we're glad you're here for confetti break you can check us out online at unsafespace.com why are you laughing <laughs> i don't know i'm i'm i've been having chats with people this like for the last half hour or whatever in chat so uh oh, i'm laughing because they're happy that i didn't have to play the wait intro because you were on time so we just jumped right into the show I'm always <laughs> usually on time. No, you're not always usually on time. <laughs> A good 60% of the time I'm on time. No. <laughs> <laughs> A good 6% of the time you're on time. I'll give you that. I'll give you that. <sighs> oh, well. Um, yes, please don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. Ninja Kitty is in chat Uh rallying people to hit the like button so thank you ninja kitty uh yeah how you doing carrie what's going uh, on there in texas i'm good and before we get into things and before i forget jack wanted us to mention that we are at 900 followers now on our facebook page on unsafe space and if you're not already already following us there and you have a facebook account then go follow us there because we want to crack a thousand that would be f i don't know what happens then but be fun. You get so. on Facebook's radar and they start banning you. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yes. yes. Uh, I'm good here in Texas. I feel a little under the weather today, but not like coronavirus under the weather. Oh, why are you making that face? <laughs> because I, you and I are in stark disagreement about coronavirus responses, so I'm giving you a face. Look, I, I did stock up on dry goods and stuff that I should have already had on stock anyway for an unknown event. So I did go to Costco the other day and, um, you know, just got some bags of rice and uh, canned beans and um, things that are non-perishables. But what was crazy was that this was a weekday and I just figured there won't be that many people there. I was so wrong. The line was like to the back of the store. Um, the lines were, were crazy. They had an employee there with hand sanitary wipes wiping down the carts and handing them to customers because people would steal the wipes otherwise if right. he wasn't all the all, all the same things that were sold out at the grocery store are sold out there in addition to um uh all the sanitary wipes all of the rubbing alcohol all the any clorox bleach product of any kind uh any disinfectant stuff and um and then also all the toilet paper Paper goods, the paper towels, toilet paper and stuff were all gone as well. Yep. But you know what was funny, Carter? What? I, I found myself waiting in this long, long line, like judging what other people were buying. <laughs> 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 and, oh, and the clerk said, 
that they had surpassed their record for number of customers in a day mm-hmm. at noon. At wow. noon, they had already surpassed their record. Um, but uh, but I was looking, and some people, a lot of people were buying perishables, which okay, whatever, maybe the power won't go out. Who knows? But uh, but the funniest one that I was looking, there was a woman in front of us who had a lattice for her garden. And I'm like, why would you stand in an apocalypse long line <laughs> to buy a lattice for your garden? <laughs> like, I think I would get there and be like, you know what? My garden can wait. Like, yeah, yeah. If that's all you're getting. Anyway, that was all she's getting. <laughs> I think so. It just it was, it was like, what? Why is that? Anyway, <laughs> it's funny. Well, I've been uh, I mean, we haven't been going out and we already have stuff. So um there's not been too much more prepping or anything for us, but uh, I don't know. It's getting a little bit real out there. Uh, you know what strikes me as odd? We were talking about this in chat a little bit earlier, uh, but I think it's worth just mentioning. Um, I don't get this. Res- I, I get it, but there's this response that's that's happening right now where uh, there's a lot of people that are, they seem to think that the biggest problem is to warn people to not panic and to not be anxious. Um, yeah. And... You know, first of all, we we <laughs> avoiding anxiety is it's a nice thing to do if you're comfortable, but it's not a moral imperative to avoid anxiety. We evolved anxiety for a reason. It protects us. It forces us to take action that is uh, life preserving. That's what anxiety is for. So, being prepared and panicking are not the same thing. It's not like to go to say like, oh. I'm going to self-quarantine for a few weeks because we have food and I can do that very easily and we're going to just avoid it. That's not a panic. Panicking is like, panicking is like, uh, <laughs> I'm I'm moving to Zimbabwe or uh, panicking is like, I'm just going to, you know, I'm going to eat everything and drink everything and do all the drugs because it's the end of the world. That's panicking. Panicking isn't like, I'm going to make sure I'm stocked up on food and my family and I are going to stay home to avoid either spreading it or getting infected ourselves. Like, that's not panicking. That's just being a good person and a smart person. That's not panicking. Um, and I, But there seems to be this group of people who want to self-soothe. And I think what's going on is they've got, they're worried that there's something real happening, but they don't want to believe it. And so they just have to shout as loud as they can, as often as they can, don't panic, everyone, don't panic, everyone, don't panic, everyone. And it's like, I think they're panicking internally, and they're just like really trying to soothe themselves by telling everyone to stop panicking. Um, It's not a panic. Like, this whole thing would be over in a few weeks if everyone just was like, we're going to just stay home for a little while. Okay, fine. Like, it would die off. That's how you control our, our not is the the coefficient of spread. Like, it's, it's how many people the average person infects. The, the way the way you dial R not down is just by like not interacting like don't you can't infect someone if you're not hanging out with them so like it's very small it's a small thing to ask people in a community to kind of like step back a little bit socially but people are so uh, it, they're so triggered by being asked to step back socially it's like how important is the NBA game to you is it that important? That you have to go like you can't you can't miss a couple social events for a few weeks. What's the pro- I, I there's a mentality there that I can only relate to like irresponsible teenagers who have no like 
no sense that they, of their own mortality and no sense that they have a responsibility to protect other people in the community by not potentially being a vector. Because if you're young, you're most likely a vector, not a victim. That's, I don't know, I could rant more about this. Well, practice. I think that there's two types of extremes. Mike Cernovich has a great post on how to prepare for the coronavirus, and he kind of points out the two extremes. And I think the don't the don't panic people, it's you know, it's just a flu. I think those people are a direct response and they feed off each other. They're a direct response to the other extreme, which is it's the which are the people who are panicking and who are like it's you know, it's the end of the world and I'm uh, I, I haven't seen people panicking. Who's been I mean, other than like there's like film of people fighting over toilet paper in Australia, like fine. Right. So who's panicking generally? I think there are just as many people online talking doomsday stuff as there are people talking about it's just a flu, don't worry. The media is going out of control trying to make us freak out over this. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't. I mean, I, I see the opposite. I see a lot of like, it only kills old people. It only kills Asians. It only kills weak people. And it's like. <sighs> I wonder who you're following versus who I'm following because I see it. I see a healthy amount of the. Um, freakouts as well well i mean i see i so. see people prepping like i'm definitely i'm in like prepping groups where people are but they're not freaking like they're not freaking out they're just sharing information like what do we think is going to happen and like let's look at the numbers let's compare this to well, i'm like, not talking i'm know. not talking about those people i'm talking about the freakouts what are the freakout people saying that uh i mean the freakout people are saying this is I mean, they're saying the same kind of stuff as what you're saying, but it's sort of like this is all they're posting about, and they're, it, it is uh, something unheard of, and it's a national disaster, and Trump is mishandling it, and, um, you know, they're quoting numbers of people who are going to die, and I think that they're, look, I think it's a human reaction that some people are going to go to the worst extreme, and some people are going to be in denial and then you have like all the very different types of healthy responses in the middle of those two things. That's all. Yeah, I don't know. I don't see. I don't see a lot of. I'm. I'm I don't know. I'm just not. I seeing think a lot you. Of you're not panicking, but you also lean more towards. I'll say as an observer. Yeah. yeah. You lean towards the more. Um, uh... <laughs> Wait a minute. So. <laughs> It, you can say it, Carrie. It's okay. Well, not the freakout type, but you're definitely like prepared for doomsday. And you had, didn't you say you had seventy masks? And you <laughs> wait, 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 wait. And you, oh no, I'm sorry. Oh, Carrie's gone. She's gonna mock me for having seventy masks. Yeah, we had seventy masks. Uh, I don't know if I should wait for her to come back before I say that, but yeah, uh, we have seventy masks, but. You know, do some math. If you've got a family of three or four and you need to go out uh, in public for some reason a few times a week, uh, you can run out of that 70 masks really quickly. So, or if you have other people that you need to um, need to help out. So, it's are you there? About the 70 masks, though. I was going to say that you had 70, but you didn't want to spare one for cleaning out the garage, and so you got congested. Yeah, that's true. I did do that. <laughs> but even my wife thought that was weird. Uh, yeah, um, but but here but are, here's the uh, thing. Yeah, I'm not mocking. You can, by the way, like like Laura says in chat, I just want to clarify. I'm not mocking you. I'm saying no, no, you're no. always prepared. And you and I are yin and yang on a lot of things. And this is another thing because you're probably gonna judge me for this, but uh, I'm going to. 
well, first of all, I have to work with, <laughs> I have to work with the public tomorrow. Right. Um, and no one there is concerned. And so everyone's going in and doing their job and, uh, you know, I'm not going to be shaking hands or anything, but I will be around a lot of people, a lot of them tourists from other places. And, uh, and then on Sunday, I'm going to a small party and I know I knew you would laugh when I said that in our group chat with Jack and I was you were saying something about you hope Jack is getting prepared with supplies and I'm like I'm going to a party. Well, Jack's a prepper <laughs> a little bit. So, I Jack and I have talked about this. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I I mean, look, I How do I want to say this? Yeah, I so I am I am more uh I am more on the I won't say freaking out, but I'm more on the prepared end. But but I don't view it as like I'm, I don't actually have a lot of personal anxiety about it. I feel pretty fine uh, because I can stay inside for months if I need to. So uh, like I, I'm kind of okay. We're we're pretty prepared. Like preparation makes you feel less anxious. I'm, yeah, I, I'm fine. Uh, I agree. I'm, yeah, I was crazy about my mask, but I also just don't like wearing masks because I was I had a drink with me and I would have to move the mat. Like I had other reasons. I was. Not just trying to not have the mask when I was woodworking, <laughs> but uh, like I, I, this is a population of people, and I, I mean America. America is a population of people that, for generations, has never seen any big black swan event. Like, there's been no big disaster. We haven't had anything in my lifetime, in my parents' lifetime. Uh, possibly, well, maybe in their parents, maybe you can count the Great Depression, but if you don't count that, which is merely economic, I mean, you have to go 100 years to even hit the Spanish flu. There hasn't been, we don't have a generations of people that are aware that black swan events can occur. And we have as we have a an attitude in society of living pretty fast and loose, paycheck to paycheck. Just look at the savings rate of people. We have people who are generally like into borrowing and and living the good life as much as they can and not saving for a rainy day. We've got a, a culture that's that's switched to this mentality of the government will take care of me instead of I need to prepare for a rainy day. And so we have a whole population of people who just literally aren't prepared for anything. And do I think anything is likely to happen that's catastrophic? No, of course, I don't think it's likely. But how hard is it to actually be prepared and then not really worry if something does happen? Like coronavirus is coming along and like it's not really a big deal for the people who are prepared. Well, um, I, I agree with you on all of that. So, I mean, I agree with you on all that. And I think that that's why part of me was, you know, everybody judges even when they try not to. I was aware sure. that I was doing it though, which I think is a good thing to be aware when you're doing it because maybe that helps you do it less. But I was aware I was judging what other people were buying. Right. I was like, why would you choose bread? <laughs> I don't know. Like, well, actually, Maria and Little Ragamuffin and some others in in the chat had a had a good point that maybe that woman was buying the lattice to grow some beans because she's m much more well thought out than I am. <laughs> well, it's maybe. too late for her to be growing beans. Well, maybe not. I guess yeah, but yeah. Yeah. Um, I I don't know. I just. Uh... The other thing that I was just thinking is like there's a selfishness to this, and I've, I've seen it. I'm seeing it mostly with um, younger people who are like, "Well, the virus doesn't kill younger people," and I can get into that. It it can. It's still not great for you, um, but uh, that even if that's true, like 
you're killing old people in your community by your your lack of carefulness and your your cavalier attitude is killing other people in your community. Like you're killing old people. Spreading the virus, if you get it and you get a mild case and you're out spreading it, you're killing old people who can't handle it. So I like But the reality If we were in smaller is, communities, you like that's not how you would react. It's just that we're in these anonymous groups where no one gives a crap about their neighbors. Okay, but the reality is that most people don't have enough in savings, which is sad, but don't have enough in savings to not be able to go to their jobs where they interface with the public and to sit home for two weeks to write this out. Most people don't have two weeks worth of padded savings, or a lot of people don't. So That's a separate related and bad issue, yes. It is a separate related and bad issue, but you can't realistically, that's why I kind of feel like everyone is going to be exposed at some point anyway because people are still working these jobs and people expect to be able to go out to their restaurants and they're not there are the people who are not staying in and there are the people who need to make the wage and and there are going to be people who get sick and still go into work that's what's freaky because they have because they feel like they have to and they are maybe hoping it's not the virus because they need the money and they're going in right um this is not a rat just by the way, in chat, Elvacaro, this is Tiger. I don't. I know that you're not new to the channel. I love Elvacaro. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> anyway, yeah, I get it. But um, I don't know. I just uh, I just I don't want to scare people. I I, get, I guess it's not. It's different. I don't hear people saying like, "Well, I have to go to work," but I am concerned. I I hear people that like don't have to be out going out. Um, and that's the, like, I, I have, I have empathy for people who are like, they kind of need to still go out for some reason or whatever. And like they're struggling with it and, you know, maybe they wear a mask or they, what, yeah, I, I get it, but people aren't even wearing masks. Like even in the Bay area, now look, the Bay area is urban. I was out the other day in the Bay area, um, cause I had an errand to do and I had the mask and gloves. I looked like a freak. And this was only a few days ago. Like no one else, so there's people sitting at Starbucks and Pete's, like having coffee, doing their thing, hanging out, like people on the on the public transit, like people everywhere, right? And I'm like, I literally didn't come, I don't think, within six feet of anyone. I had to go mail something, right? <laughs> like, like I'm like all protected. Okay, fine, maybe I'm a little bit crazy, but literally, literally no one else cared. And there's the, the like that's what's weird to me is this it's this it's not this attitude of like well i have to go to work and so i'm gonna go be precautious i'm gonna be cautious and i'm gonna go to work but i have to because i gotta earn a living i i get that i relate to that i do think if you can you should have a little bit of savings so that you can deal with stuff like this but um but that that's not the case that's not what i'm seeing i'm seeing people who are like literally i'm getting i'm getting emails from clubs in san francisco that's like party tomorrow night it's like what what the hell's wrong with you what is wrong with you people? Well, like, I think there's also, okay, there, tell me, hear me out. Um, there's, like, I, I, I was over at my neighbor's place this morning, and he's a good old boy, uh, one, of the, one of the guys on my street. And he was like, uh, what did he say? He was like, well, if, you're, if it's your time to die, it's your time to die. Now, yeah, I, but what about but, some, on the, someone else's grandmother? Is it their turn to die because you had to go party? Yeah, but if you follow that line of reasoning, you you would never leave your house for anything for any reason. What if you get in a car accident and kill someone? Do you know what I mean? Like, no, that's not true. This is a unique event where the the mortality rate is in the double digits for seniors, double digits, and it's extremely contagious. 
I'm just saying that way of thinking makes you a person who becomes a hermit in general. That's what I think. By the way, thank you, Jason, for the super chat. I didn't mean to ignore that. Oh. Um, yeah. Hey, Jason. Can you read it, Carrie? Let's see what he says. Hold on. I got to scroll back up. The chat is popping. Okay. It says, when postmodern SJWs take flu precautions, it's a performative contradiction. In POMO, meaning postmodernism, germ theory of disease is a, quote, story of white colonial oppressors. Oh, seriously? Wait, germ theory is it like they're against germ theory? I love how anti-scientific they're like they are the new Lysenko, as, as Jack has told me. Uh, they're against germ theory? I didn't know that. Did you know that, Carrie? No, I didn't, but it doesn't surprise me. <laughs> I was saying to someone, here's something about the coronavirus and SJWs. I briefly thought, and of course, I didn't, I, a very slim chance, but I thought, what if this virus is something that causes some ideologues, some SJWs, or maybe other kinds of ideologues, to step back and realize that their their crusade, that their ideology is kind of meaningless, and that there are more important things in life, and maybe it helps them. <laughs> Why are you laughing? But you maybe, think that's going to happen? <laughs> well, yeah, like the what they call what is it's called the uh, I think it's called the perverse positives of something negative, right? is maybe it causes them to reevaluate their beliefs and life choices and the things that they place value on. But no, instead they've done what they always always do, which is, see, ideology is like wearing, it's like putting on a pair of glasses. And their ideology says that um, the best way to look at the world is that it, it, we're competing groups based on race and sex and other identity groups. They put us all in these identity groups and we're all competing for power based on what group we're in. That's the way they look at the world. So literally everything is filtered through those glasses. They, they will look everything, no matter what it is, they will look and try to find what's racist about it. Try to find a way to make it racist or make it sexist or make it one of these things. And so they've already done that. Um, the squad, the, the Congresswoman AOC, uh, what's her name? Ayan. Or Ayanna uh, Presley, which one? Both of those, Ayanna Presley and Omar. Omar on Twitter talked about how it's racist to call it the Chinese to, to call it Chinese as a, as a descriptor, and then um, that, that's why I've started calling it the Wuhan virus. By the way, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and then and then Ayanna Presley gave testimony is giving testimony in Congress, wasting time talking about how we shouldn't use the words Chinese or Wuhan when referring to it because that's racist. It's not. We name. Almost, we named many viruses based on point of origin. The Spanish flu, which actually wasn't even, that was also Asian, actually, but Spain got blamed because they were the only ones who reported it. Yeah, but the, it's like the, what was it, Zika? Like, the, we all, point of origin is not an unusual way to name a virus. And to no. pretend like it is, and then to go further and pretend like it's racist is ridiculous. And it's a waste of time. It's selfish and narcissistic and it's a way of making everything about your ideology yet again so they they do i aoc was complaining that people not going to chinese restaurants now is racist <laughs> oh my gosh because <laughs> she's in new york so if, if you're not ordering chinese food you're a bigot i guess i don't know <laughs> i did see a um, post from a, a social media friend in new york of a sign in uh a sushi restaurant and it said you know warning for the for the benefit of every everyone here we're going to be taking the temperature of all 
patrons before you're allowed to come in. That, They're taking your yeah, that's the thing that like I don't I don't get that mentality. This is why this is why I I don't understand how people are reacting to this. It's asymptomatic for up to fourteen, sometimes in some cases longer. But you have to get at least like nine or ten days to to hit like the within a standard deviation of the the uh, average. Like you're asymptomatic and infectious, so you don't have a temperature and you're spreading the coronavirus. That's why R0 is so high on this virus. It's why it's spreading. It's spreading because you don't know you have it and you're spreading it. That's why it's spreading. So this whole like, we're gonna wait until there's symptoms and then and then worry about people is totally bass backward. That's not the way it should go. And the only reason that the CDC was waiting for people to have symptoms to test them was because the CDC was worried because when you have it and you don't have symptoms, you can also test negative for it. So it's it's very it's a very elusive virus, which is why it's a problem. Um, it's not necessarily the mortality rate. So I don't, like I get that if you have a fever, like okay, I guess now we know more that you probably have a problem, but it doesn't actually stop the problem. Uh, Alan in chat says, Carrie, you're forgetting that the older generations are the only thing keeping SJWs out of powerful positions. If the plague kills a decent portion of those people, it becomes an opportunity. Well, t to piggyback on that comment, I did have already seen, of course, hmm. very callous leftist people on Twitter talking about how um, the older generation is all racist and sexist and that this is going to be a good thing. Like how evil, how much evil do you have in your heart to say something like that? But I know because they've dehumanized, they've dehumanized anyone who's on the right. Um, yeah. So. Yeah. I mean, and look, I don't know what, what's the average age of Congress. It's got to be, it's high. I don't know what it is. 60s in the 60s at least. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Um, let, let me, uh, I just want to, I, I do want to, Say a couple things about this though um first of all in terms of the death rate we don't actually know I, people are throwing around numbers we don't actually know the death rate the who is guessing three and a half percent which is uh about what they guessed for sars sars turned out to be 9.6 um afterwards you can't estimate the death rate very well during an epidemic it's extremely difficult to do um, and especially for this, you've got to wait till like six weeks pass to close cases out. Um, so, and if you look at the numbers of actually cases that are like confirmed done, like declared recovered or dead, it, it's actually closer to like 6%. I don't know what it is, but the fact is we don't actually know what the death rate is. Um, the other thing I want to just mention, because there's a lot of like, this is the same as the flu, blah, blah, blah. It's not the same as the flu. I'm going to show you. I'm going to show you a graph and you know, it's not, this graph isn't going to say certain death. It's going to say you have a low probability of, of death, which is true. Um, so here's the flu versus coronavirus. So first of all, if you're really young, zero to four years old or zero to 17 for the flu, your death rate is 0.01%. It's tiny for the flu. It goes up to 0.02 for 18 to 49. So that includes people as old as me and beyond. 0.02%. It, then it goes up to 0 0.06 for 50 to 64. And then over 65, it's it's high. It's 0.83, which is almost a percent. So it's almost one out of every 100 people that get the flu over 65 die. That's, that's, that's the flu. Coronavirus is in order of magnitude on all counts higher. 
So other than under 10, no one, I think no one under 10 has died unless there's some, we don't know about China because we don't necessarily believe what they're saying. But uh, look, under, under, basically under 40, it's 0.2%, which doesn't sound like a lot, but notice that's 10 times or 20 times more, depending on the age group, than the flu. It's not the flu, even for your younger people, it's 10 times more deadly. If you start to get into the elder groups, I mean, you can see it goes up. It's, it maintains at least an order of magnitude worse all the way through. If you're extremely old, you're, it's close to 15%. So this is not the flu. It's not the flu. And the flu is not as contagious as the coronavirus. So this infects, I don't know, 5 to 20 on the up end percent of the population every year. This could hit. 40%, 50%, 60%, this could hit a large percent of the population. And it's 10 times as deadly, even for younger people. So it's this isn't like a, let's not worry. The other thing I want to point out, I'm going to show you a couple numbers. This is the testing per capita in the US versus other countries. This is another graph. I think, the, I think this one with the circles is probably more accurate uh, and more recent. But basically, if we look at this, the tests per million people that the US is doing, 23 South Korea, 3,692. So how many cases are we not recognizing because we're not testing? The U.S. isn't testing. And remember, China took very drastic, drastic authoritarian measures to slow the growth of this. Um, so I, I don't, I'm not saying to freak out, but I am saying, like, running around saying this isn't the flu, this is just a flu, this is the problem. The transmission rates are very high. Not only that, even if you don't die, about 20% of the cases um, for this thing end up in the ICU. Now, and they'll be in the ICU for like six weeks. It's like a six week long flu. So we don't have enough beds. If a large percentage of the population gets this, we don't have enough beds to put 20% of the cases in ICU. We don't have the capacity. And so the death rate will go up and people who actually don't even have the flu could be affected who need the ICU for other reasons. And the last thing I just want to, the last point I want to make, and then I can shut up about the coronavirus because I know, Carrie, it's not what you want to talk about. Uh, the last point I want to make is... You don't know that. I want to talk about it. Okay, okay. Uh, the, last, the last point I want to make is death is not the only bad outcome. It can leave you and does, not in all cases, but it can leave you with permanent lung damage. So saying like, eh, the mortality rate's only a few percent, fine. Uh, we're not sure what the percent of permanent lung damage is, but a lot of people that are living and, and in the survival column are ending up with permanent lung damage. It's not a fun thing. And it's not something to just kind of like, eh, it's just the flu, don't worry about it, uh, stop freaking out. The way someone asked in chat earlier, like, how do you stop it? There's only one way to stop it. You stop interacting. You you attack R naught, which is the 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 uh, measure of how many people one infected person infects. And the only way you attack that is by not interacting with people. You stop interacting with people. If you can stay home, you stay home. You wear, you, if you're, you, you wear masks because you may be infected and masks are good to actually, they're better for the person who's infected. It, it stops the infection from spreading better, but uh, they're not as effective if you're not infected, you know, and you're just trying to prevent. But still, you wear masks, you wear gloves, you have Clorox wipes, you don't go out if you don't need to. You wipe things down, you wash your hands, you know, and, you, and you, you don't go to large gatherings. You don't go to school if you don't have to go to school. You don't do this stuff. That's how you attack the virus. Um, and, you know, 
I guess we're starting to see some municipalities in the country start reacting in a way that looks like maybe they're taking it seriously. But my big concern is it's too little too late because we know that it was in the community. We, we're, there's suspicion now that there, it was in the community around Seattle for six weeks before anyone noticed anything. And so it's probably a lot of places already. Um, I don't know. I don't want to freak anyone out. I'm just, it's not, it's a mild thing to ask you to do to try and stay home. And, and if you can't stay home, take precautions when you go out. That's not asking much. And it's, it's the way to be a good neighbor. It's the way to be a good member of your community by minimizing your exposure and risk. And it's really not that impactful to you. That's all. Debbie Chandler just gave us 10 bucks. Thank you, Debbie. Uh, if you have a question or comment, we will read it. But uh, Thank you, Debbie. Well, um, I have to go work with the public tomorrow, so I will not be staying home. Yeah, just be and, careful. I get it. And on Sunday, I'm going to a small gathering of friends. I don't <laughs> think you should. I'm just telling you. Like, you do what you – I can't stop you. And I don't know what's going on in Texas. Maybe Texas is different. I don't know. Well, Austin just got our first two cases that are known – and um, they've UT has canceled classes, I think, and I think the um, Austin Public Schools have all shut down now. And of course, we had shut down South by Southwest beforehand. Um, the Austin Rodeo has now been canceled. Um, but I will say, up until like as recently as two days ago, people around here didn't seem to be talking about it or thinking about it too much. And now it's all I hear here. And I'm a little outside of Austin. I'm in a smaller town. Um, and, uh, you know, the stores that I've been talking about that have been wiped clean of certain items, that's here in my smaller town. Um, but uh, I also know, like, I have a friend who works for a huge, um, like, an international con construction company. They have a, a large office here in Austin. And um, they've ordered... I think she said they spent like a hundred thousand dollars on Clorox wipes Jeez. for all of their, yeah, for all of their employees and, and job sites and stuff. And, uh, just here in Austin. Um, and there was some other stuff she was telling me that was like really just interesting about how the precautions that the city is trying to take. But, um, but, uh, anyway, oh my gosh, Westy, thank you. $25. He says, this is a bribe. He says, I'm at work and I can't really participate in these live chats. So this is a $25 bribe hoping for a Saturday live show. Love the show guys. I think we'll have to do a Saturday live show for you at some point because of that. Thank you. I, I would I'm consider it a Saturday live show. Um, especially if it's like the more people that we start getting participating in chat, actually the more fun live shows get for me. I don't know about you, Carrie, but I like it because, like, I can chat with people beforehand. They have stuff they want to talk about. They can bring stuff up. It makes doing live shows uh, much more fun. So, like, our subscriber count's not huge, but it's growing enough that uh, these chats are getting getting to be more fun. And we, we can see people that we know in chat and people bringing up yeah. stuff. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I really enjoy yeah. all the interaction in them. They've been fun. So, thank yeah. you very much. Um, okay. there. I think there was one other thing I wanted to say about the – virus stuff. Oh, I know what it was. Okay. Let me read this to you because this is along the, something I think you might just, you and I might disagree with, and that might be interesting. Those are, um, and I'm not saying, yeah. yeah. Okay. So here's a seal. You know, I like 
C.S. Lewis a lot. I think I've just Mm -hmm. started reading him in the past few years, really. Um, Although I read a little bit of his stuff as a kid, but, um, and I quote him a lot. Well, this is a quote I had not heard before. This is from uh, 1948 uh, on living in an atomic age. Okay. So this is a quote from that quote. If we are going to be destroyed by an atomic bomb, let that bomb, when it comes, find us doing sensible and human things, praying, working, teaching, reading, listening to music, bathing the children, playing tennis, chatting to our friends over a pint and a game of darts, not huddled together like frightened sheep and thinking about bombs. They might break our bodies. A microbe can do that, but they need not dominate our minds, end quote. I, I don't disagree, although um, bomb, nuclear bombs are something that individuals can do nothing about the spread of. Uh, True. You can stop this by staying the fuck home. So, like, this is not, it's not like Russia's going to suddenly bomb you, which is how well, he was writing that in the context of, you know, that's like saying a meteor could hit you tomorrow. You should be living your best life. Yes, I totally agree with that. But yeah. if, like, well, he a also meteor slowly he said, coming in little bits and all you have to do is stay home to stop it, stay home. True. I, I agree. There is that very stark difference. He did mention microbe in it, too, can do yeah, this. Yeah, he said so even why. microbes can hurt people. Yeah, I get that. Yeah. But uh, if, if he was going to make the case that we should live our lives normally and not worry about the coronavirus, I would argue with him vociferously and win. <laughs> <laughs> and win. <laughs> I would totally win. Uh, you know, uh, one thing that's kind of tangential, we can start... Uh, veering off coronavirus a little bit, but I want to bring it up because I know Keith the Hat guy is in chat and I know this is his concern and it is a concern of mine as well, which I have not been talking about. Uh, Coronavirus aside, uh, one thing that, look, the coronavirus, no matter what happens, whether I'm totally wrong and like this is we're at peak coronavirus and it goes away tomorrow and I look like an idiot or whether it's devastating or anything in between, it will end. It will end at some point and we'll have a return to normalcy. What won't end is all of the government power that they grab during this crisis <laughs> that they need to justify increased spending in things and more power and any infringement on civil liberties. That will never end. And I know Keith is particularly worried about that. Um, and I am too, to some extent. I think, uh, you know, government, there's, I forget who said this, but uh, someone in chat can remind me if, if you don't know, Carrie, but there's the never let a crisis go to waste. It sounds like Saul Alinsky, but I'm not sure who. who. <laughs> um, but they won't let this go to waste, especially the deep state. They're already, you know, they're already yelling at Trump for not having funded CDC enough or this or that enough. And like, okay, fine. So they're now they're going to have to fund, you know, they just want bigger budgets. Uh, and, and the thing that's really bothering me about this, or the, the thing that I'm noticing uh, the most is how few rugged individuals there are, right? The individualists that I know, the rugged individualists are the ones that are like, I'm protecting myself from the coronavirus. I'm not asking the CDC to do anything. I don't expect the government to save me. I've got a year's supply of food and a ham radio I'm and a, and a generator. I'm fine or whatever it is, right? Those are the people that are like, I'm fine. I don't need the government to protect me from this. I see a threat. I protect myself. Uh, but... 99% or larger percent of the population is like blaming the government for anything that happens related to this. The government should have done this. Trump should have done that. Government should have responded this way. CDC should have done that. They should have done this. Blah, 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 blah. What about my tax dollars? Well, I get that you want I get that you want nanny state to take care of you, but they can't. And ultimately, 
we are a weak nation if we're a nation full of whiners who are hoping that the government handle even the crisis like this. Thank you, Jody Young, for the $9.99. I hope that rant didn't make you regret giving it to us. <laughs> That's why she kept the penny back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. She mostly agrees, but... Uh. <laughs> Thank you, Jody, very much. Um, okay, so Ninja Kitty says, please reach out to Douglas Murray for a conversation on unsafe space. Oh, Oh, we I will. promise you, we will. We, I promise you. We're going to do Book Club. It's his book on March 22nd. We're reading uh, The Madness of Crowds, and we'll be discussing it live on March 22nd. If you guys want to join, it'll be 7 p.m. Central Time, whatever time that is for you. Um, but uh, we'll reach out to him. But you know what always helps is if if you guys who watch our show tweet at these people and message these people on – because it it's not just us asking for a favor then. It's like – and it shows that there are people who would like to see it. So if you guys would, if you want to see, if there's anybody you want to see on the show and they have a channel, it always helps us if you post comments mentioning us to them so that we're on their radar. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, I can't, I, I can't wait to be able to reach out to him. In general, we like to reach out to people like after we've read and digested their material. So that's why, that's why the wait. But uh, yeah, we will, we will reach out. Um, we can sound a kind of transition a little. I, I don't know. There's so much. I keep saying transition, uh, and then I'm looking wait, like wait, Jack wait. sending is sending me stuff. So okay, like, well, let me send you. Let me say okay. something before you transition a topic. Okay. In chat, I don't know if I'm going to transition, but okay. Sharon Dobbs in chat says, "Hold on, it just scrolled up. I can't find it." She says, "Like the Hank Jr. song, country folks will survive. I, I can skin that. a buck. I can run a trout line." And then she goes, "Carter won't get that." Oh, <laughs> well, Carter can hunt though. It's okay. He he might well, not get the country music. Yeah, she just Carter might be listening to LCD music. sound system while performing the country music activities, but he won't be listening to the country music. <laughs> uh, no, little ragamuffin, I don't want you to harass them. I want you guys to suggest this to them if if there's somebody that you want us to invite on. Well, little ragamuffin, you're allowed to harass them, but everyone else should be nice. <laughs> um, Jack is Jack has sent me this. Jack sent me this thing from the Lancet. Um, it, which if there's a there's an article here or i guess it's a a journal i don't know i guess it's an article it's got references it looks kind of journal-y here maybe i'll, I'll put it up you're gonna love this uh <laughs> i these people i i okay the covid19 the gendered impacts of the outbreak oh my gosh okay real quick before you get into this this is what i was just saying they ideologues and specifically I'm talking about the SJW ideologues here, their lens is everything is racist and sexist. And so of course they found a way to talk about the gendered impact. They talk about gender when it comes to climate change. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> I know, right? Uh, <laughs> although sex disaggregated data for COVID shows equal numbers of cases between men and women, men and women so far, I'm offended that it's not Wixom or Womenixom with the X. Uh, <laughs> there seem to be sex differences in mortality and vulnerability to the disease. Emerging evidence suggests more men than women are dying due to potentially sex-based immunological or gender differences, <gasps> such as patterns and prevalence of smoking. However, current sex disaggregated data are incomplete, cautioning against early assumptions. Simultaneously, uh, data from the State Council of Information Office suggests that more than 90% of healthcare workers in Hubei province are women, emphasizing the gendered nature of the health workforce and the risk that predominantly female health workers incur. All right, so more guys are dying, but woe is me, people with ovaries. You're the nurses. F you. 
That's all I have to say. That's, that, that's this my reminds rant. It's me, just F you. That's it. This reminds me of when, um, oh gosh, which magazine was it? I think it was L. They did they did a a YouTube video where they had a white man and a black woman who were both in the same industry, same job, different companies. And they had a whole discussion, sit down discussion between them about the so-called gender pay gap. I love that and, discussion. <laughs> yeah. And it was about how, which isn't real, by the way, we should do a whole thing on the gender gap, wage gap and why that's not real. But um, they did a whole thing about the so-called gender wage gap. And then on top of it, she kept saying, and then black women are even, there's even more of a gap between black women and white men. And then they had them reveal what they were making. And it actually was the opposite of what they expected. After all of this lecturing, it turned out the black woman was making like, I don't know, like $30,000 more. more than him a yeah. year. <laughs> and, and the funny thing is that, they, well, first of all, that they put the video up. I was proud of them for doing that because it showed the opposite of what they thought was going to happen. But secondly, after they find out that she's making a lot more money than him per year, they, she continues to lecture him about the so-called racial and gender oh, yeah. wage gap. And he continued to be like little Mr. Soy Boy about it. Like, I'm yeah, sorry, I, don't, still, I like, don't make a little enough. I don't make a little. As <laughs> if this fact didn't completely go against everything she was saying. And it was hilarious. But, but you make me think of that because it says what? Well, more men are dying, but let's find a way to still make women the victims. <laughs> Right. You know, like, right. well, I make more than you, but let's find a way to pretend like I don't. <laughs> right. Let's find a way to make the women the victim in this. By the way, I should yeah. let's, let's let's shout out to a few people. Keith gave us 10 bucks and he says, Keith, the hat guy, uh, he says, at this time, I remain more concerned about what the government does about the virus than I am about the virus itself. Government expansion using the crisis is the biggest, bigger ultimate risk, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's the risk that will stay with us, right? So that's the thing. The Patriot Act was passed in response to 9-11. Uh, that was, I don't know, almost 20 years ago, right? Like, I, we're still taking our freaking shoes off at the airport. Like, there's still, we've still given up all the liberties that we gave up. This NSA is still spying on us. Like, all this stuff is still happening. Uh, we've given it all up because uh, there was an incident which was a horrible tragedy in the case of 9-11. But whenever there's an incident, whenever there's anything, uh, government will use it as an opportunity to seize temporary power, which is uh, never temporary. Um, and also Blackbeard just gave us $4.99 saying, this is great news. He's now transitioning to female to beat these things. Yeah, that's a great idea. If you just start identifying as female, your mortality rate goes down immediately with the coronavirus, Blackbeard. So okay, I'm going to start identifying as a nine-year-old because the mortality rate is zero. <laughs> That's really funny. Um, okay. <laughs> All right, we should stop this corona stuff. Okay, but one other quick thing. Ninja Kitty says, wasn't it Hillary that said women are the primary victims of war because they lose husbands, sons, and brothers? <laughs> Did she? <laughs> I don't oh, know. Like, I think... <laughs> oh, uh, the primary victims well, of the Hillary Clinton campaign are the wives and mothers of the people that they murder. Do you guys no. know people, this makes me think of, I won't get into specifics, but do you know people in your everyday life who, if something horrible happens to someone, they always make it about them and it's not <laughs> about them. Right. <laughs> it's like, I feel so bad for her. You know, I blah, 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 blah. <laughs> it makes me think of that. Right. Yeah. yeah. The biggest problem with the Challenger blowing up was when I had to suffer in sixth grade watching it. It was very traumatic yes. for me. 
It's very traumatic for me. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, oh, um, just uh, FYI. So Trump is going to give in about 12 minutes. Trump is going to... I looked at my wrist, by the way. I'm t- this is totally fake. My wrist has nothing on. I don't know where that habit just came from. I looked. I okay. pretended to look at my watch. Um, Trump's going to give an address on the coronavirus. The rumor is he's going to declare a national state of emergency, which basically just unlocks more funding, but probably also unlocks some of the stuff Keith is worried about. Um, you did see, by the way, though, that Trudeau's wife tested positive and the president of Brazil, who shook hands with Trump in just a few days ago, also tested positive for coronavirus. So, uh, and Cernovich, I think, said, I think Cernovich had a prediction that uh, all three, something like all three of Bernie... Uh, Biden and Trump would get the coronavirus and only two of them would live. That's his prediction. So, I mean, they, look, a lot of our leaders are in the, the, we'll say, target to demographic for coronavirus. So, <sighs> all right. I didn't see any of that yet. So that's interesting. All right. Well. Um, um, so a couple of updates on things we talked about. One, yes. we talked about the crazy astronomical blunderous math error on MSNBC <laughs> uh, with Brian Williams and the uh, woman on there with him. I think her name is Mara Gay. Is that right? She is an editor at Mara the New Gay. York Times. Yeah. Uh, she ended up doing, yes, Ninja Kitty, I did see this. She ended up doing a piece where she basically claimed that her mistake was trivial and silly and harmless, harmless. You're on national news and you're telling people that Mike Bloomberg has enough money to give everybody a million dollars when the math actually would be one dollar, one dollar and a million dollars is a big difference. If you plant that in people's minds, you're planning something irresponsible and false. That is not harmless. That is not trivial. And in the same piece, she went on to paint herself as a victim of racism and basically tried to ascribe all of the criticism to racists by cherry picking a couple of nut job racist comments. Like actual which, racist comments. Right of there. actual racist comments and highlighting those as if those were the majority, which I don't believe for a second they were. That's taking the outlier and, something, and trying to say that that's completely sidestepping the very credible actual criticism and then saying look at this crazy person who emailed me that's what everyone who's who's criticizing me is like no it's not address the real issue address that your your math error was something that should have been a fireable offense because you're so irresponsible you shouldn't be working as an editor for the new york times if you could make a mistake that grief that grievous like that was huge it's not trivial. well in fairness i think not knowing math is a prerequisite for being a socialist so uh i think i think you would have to fire everyone and the news media, but to, um, but to make for it to go past through all those producers and everything to make it to air. I know, I know. I'm, I'm. Yeah, I know. <sighs> what? It's, it's. I'm sorry. I'm. I'm. You're making a joke, but I'm. This just, is the same person, right? Yeah, but these are the same people that are telling us like, <laughs> like they're giving us lectures about science denial when we don't believe the alarmist environmental, the latest alarmist environmental extremism. And the only possible solution is the Green New Deal or whatever the hell they're pushing. Like, you know, we're science deniers when we, we disagree, but, uh, but you know, two plus two is five whenever they want it to be. Or two plus two is a million, I guess. I don't yeah, two is a million. <laughs> oh my God. Why stop at five, Gary? <laughs> It's a trivial error. Oh, and the Washington Post writer who originally wrote the tweet, before she shut down her Twitter or went private, she had doubled down and said she still didn't get the math. You would think you would check your numbers before you double down and post another tweet that said, 
my point still stands. He could give us all a million dollars. No, he couldn't. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I think she felt like, oh, well, maybe he couldn't have done it from his campaign spending, but certainly he could have done it if you just divide his billions. Uh, no, no? He, he couldn't. He doesn't have trillions of dollars. What's right. wrong with this, you? And this is why the socialist. This is why, like, all these plans of. I mean, I know you don't love economics, but I'll I'll say this quickly. This is why it is functionally retarded to, to say you're going to tax the, the the wealthy and be like, oh, we're going to pay for this by a tax on the on the the billionaires. Yeah. Okay. Great. What are you going to do next year when there are no more billionaires? Like it doesn't. It doesn't. <laughs> there's not as much money as you think. It doesn't like. Bezos is not sitting on a hundred trillion dollars or whatever the hell you're going to need for your crap, Bernie. Um, that you can't you can't do that. And if you start doing that. Obviously, there's also other hidden costs, the economy tanks, but like there's not even enough money there. They just make this statement like, oh, there's enough money if we just, you know, we just, you have to not be able to add or divide more appropriate, more accurately. You have to not be able to do basic division in order to understand that it just doesn't work. Well, Carrie. Okay. So I have one quick, I know you have things, but let me get my one no, thing. No, no, do your thing. Do your thing. Okay. Okay, so Wombat is in chat, and so is Maria, and they both mentioned this story, and um, I'm glad they reminded me because I did want to talk about it. Um, one of the we, – we've done a couple videos now on the SJW Wars in the knitting community. If you guys are new to the channel, you should go check out our interview, our deprogrammed interview with Maria Tuscan. Um, you should also check out the video called um, SJW Knitting Circle of Hell. It kind of gives you an, a glimpse into the insanity of this ideology when it takes root in a, a small enclosed community. Um, but so one of the ringleaders, one of the SJW leaders who led the campaign against Nathan, his one of his most vocal and vicious critics, who set up a Patreon and a Kofi account getting money from people to help them unlearn their so-called racism to, to undo their, it's a white woman, right? By the way, but she's helping you to unlearn your toxic whiteness. Like, like they sell this. Stuff, well, you right? can't ask the people of color to do that work. That would be right. emotional labor. Emotional labor. Well, not if they're getting paid for it. Right. But she, she, uh, she was one of his most vicious attackers. Um, she organized mobs against him. She called every, she's one of those people who called everyone he worked with. She tried to get him canceled from events, book, like where he'd been booked, was going to be paid to be a speaker or, you know, other, but she tried to get people to stop associating with him, many of whom did. Other people in the industry who like yarn uh, pattern makers and yarn dyers and companies and stuff. She led this bullying, one of the people, she was one of the people who led the bullying and harassment campaign against him. She even groomed and drove to the event at Yarningham, the woman who confronted him in person um, right after he had gotten out of the hospital where he was on suicide watch. Um, an event which the SJW still mischaracterized as him physically assaulting a woman of color. He was the one targeted and harassed in public at his event. Um, they, she was behind that. So anyway, this woman was just sentenced to 29 months in prison in the UK for fraud and a couple of other offenses. Uh, she was found guilty of, uh, taking people's money and claiming to run a booking service to take them on ex uh, trips to Disneyland and she just pocketed, yeah, she was just pocketing the thousands of dollars and didn't actually schedule any trips to Disneyland for these people and their children. Um, so 29 months in prison. And 
the reason why this isn't gloating, somebody I saw somebody said they hesitate to share this because they thought of it as gloating. It's not gloating to point out that I think this points to the character of the some of these SJW leaders and their motivations. So when you have like con men are going to con, they'll find a, a new racket. The the one the SJW who was coming after our channel for a hot minute, uh, April Harder. You know, she was making money off of this ideology in the same way. Pay me to unlearn your racism, blah, blah, blah. Right. Well, now she's making – she's completely rebranded and she's moved on. And now she's making that that cool astrology dollar. You know, she's making money on astrology. Wait, is that what she's, she's like, doing now? Astrology? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so they the, – the point is they'll, they'll the find a new – social justice. Yeah, but it's, it's rife for – because it's an ideology that is about control and power – there are going to be bad actors who come into it without good intent, who are good, charismatic uh, ringleaders, who are able to um, uh, to to almost um, what's the word um, rein in and use this ideology for their own grasp of power and money, and so that's what this woman was, and and so I think it's important to point it out because I think. What she was doing outside of the SJW stuff, this fraud that she was committing against people, is indicative of her character and her motivations in life, and her and what she's willing to do. Like the the, the when I say character, I mean this is someone who's willing to rip people off for lots of money. She also set up apparently she set up a a Patreon or Kofi or something where people were donating to help her raise money to buy a car for herself. And she raised about 30% of that to get a car. Although I said, to be fair, I heard she promised to, to stay in her lane in that car. But um, oh. <laughs> I'm joking. Oh. <laughs> but anyway, uh, her name was Katie Clark. If you guys want to read the news articles about her, Katie Clark uh, on Instagram. Her account is still up, although I think it's private. Um, and her account is G-E or Die Knits. So J, oh, no, not J, sorry, G-E O R D I E knits. Uh, but anyway, nits. wait, Jordan yeah. knits. I don't know. People have started calling her Froddy knits, which I think is kind of funny. <laughs> uh, shout, shout out to Just Claire from Instagram, I think, who coined that Froddy knits. But um, but yeah, fraud. And the reason why I think it's a point, it's important to point these things out is SJWs will stay silent on stuff like this. They will not. All those people who followed her lead who attacked him because of her and because of what she was saying. She apparently trashed him on her podcast. Other pocket, knitting podcasts started trashing him as well. All of those people are probably going to ignore this. They're probably not going to say anything about it. So show them, this is your leader. This is one of your leaders. This is who's leading you. This is yep. the character of the people who are leading your movement. Yeah. That's what I feel about it. Sorry, I mean, it was I my think, rant. I think, I think, uh, this is the problem with, uh, I will say, any any variant of any sort of authoritarian ideology. The worst people always win in the end, right? There's like Disneyland fraud lady. Okay, that's bad, but she's not as bad as the next person who's going to be willing to do worse. And eventually, you end up with Genghis Khan running like that. That's how you end up with like horrible, bloodthirsty dictators. It's like. There's, there's already this kind of ideology going on underneath the scenes where um, there's this desire to kind of be authoritarian and mob rule. And it's like, you know, whenever you set up incentives for the most vicious uh, person uh, to win, the, the, the most vicious person who can exploit the rules of the system, 
well, then the most vicious person rides just rises to the top. And so, right, yeah, there you go. And, it, and I, and I want to make one point about that. So, and I totally agree with you. Carter's talked about this a lot before. It's like in any type of authoritarian, if you look throughout history, it's always, there's always somebody that's like your second in command who's willing to stab you in the back, who's more vicious than you, who's willing to take, you know, you're not going to be immune because that, because it is an authoritarian belief system. It is about power and who has the, who is the biggest bully. Um, but I, uh, I wanted to point out one thing about, again, cause I saw even in chat just now, I saw Maria said she was hesitant to talk about it too. You don't have to, no, nobody has to, I don't, I don't mind talking about it, but I, I just want to say for people who have that, there's a difference between gloating and, and sharing facts that people need to know. And, and also sharing facts that are that illustrate something. And I think this is a good illustration of the character and the motivations of a lot of the leaders of this ideology. A lot of the leaders, I think, have bad intent. A lot of the followers, I think, have good intent. But a lot of the leaders have bad intent. And, um, and, and maybe you can wake up some of the people who are following if they happen to see this. You know, if they happen to see a bit of truth. So that's, I don't have a problem posting at all. And you, and you, and you don't, I did see some people engaging in stuff that looked a little bit like schadenfreude. I'm not going to judge that. I don't care. I've, I've participated in schadenfreude before. I don't, I don't personally have any towards her though. I'm not like, it, it, it doesn't warm my heart or anything to look at what's happening to that woman and be like, ha ha, you know, I don't, I don't care. It's not like a, but, but I get, I get that emotion and I, and I understand why maybe some people who were in the knitting community when all this was happening, which we weren't, maybe it's um, easier to, to feel that bit of glee at someone else's um, comeuppance or karma or whatever. But, but you don't have to have shot and forward and you don't have to have, you don't have to be gloating to illustrate things. So that's yeah. my, that's my little. No, no, I, I, I get it. Um, that's, it's an emotion that actually we don't talk about as a society much, but it's, um, it's something that happens a lot. Uh, not a Sean lot. It's, it's, yeah, but it's not. It's not always bad. I, you're reminding me of. Um, so years ago, uh, years ago, I went to um, a gunfighting school called Gunsight. This was a long time ago, and it was run by Colonel Jeff Cooper at the time. He was alive at the time, and um, he he's kind of known as sort of like the modern, the father of the modern technique of the pistol, and he's a very well respected firearms dude, and. Um, he said something once that really struck me in a class, and, and uh, I always thought it was odd. He was describing war, and he was saying, you know, that the truth is, uh, and people don't want to talk about this in war, but the truth is, for a lot of people, when they kill their enemy, people always, they, they, they act like they need to be very uh, upset about taking another life and whatever. He said, the truth is, when someone's trying to kill you, and they're your mortal enemy, and you finally kill them, you feel good. You feel a sense of relief and and celebration, and there's like there's a release, and it's happy, and no one talks about that. And a lot of soldiers feel guilty because they have this feeling that they're supposed to feel this grave remorse for having taken a life, when in fact, if you're defending yourself, um, if you're in this position where you feel like your life is threatened and you end up triumphing, uh, you feel good about it. And I, I think there's a parallel to that. There's something about like these people, and obviously I'm not wishing death on this person or anyone, but uh, what I'm, the parallel here is like these people are attacking 
and they are initiating these mobs. They're they're their aggressors. They're the aggressors. They're on attack, and it's hard. You're trying to defend yourself from them, and there is this sense of like relief and satisfaction with with the universe when something happens to them that uh, dethrones them from their position of being able to attack when when they get injured in some way. Um, you know, and I don't I don't necessarily think that's bad. I think that's a that's like this sense of justice or the sense of, uh, um, you know, things being right with the universe. I don't, I don't think there's necessarily anything unhealthy about that. I obviously, I think it's sick to be, you know, hoping for people's demise and stuff all the time. And like, you, you can go too far with it, but I, I think it's natural to have that sense of, of schadenfreude in some way. Yeah. I think it's like, uh, like I said, we weren't involved in it back then. And, and maybe, and especially if I were Nathan, I, I, Knowing myself, I would probably feel a bit of that shot and for it. I don't know if he does. I'm just saying I, I probably would. Um, I do think it's natural. I just think it's like any other emotion that you have that you should be aware of what it is and try and keep it in check. I think too much of it is a bad thing because then it's one of those things where it, it puts you on the road to becoming what you detest, you know? It, even, if, even when it's a person who is deserving, you feel. And I, it's like too much of that. And, and I, and I say this as someone who's experienced great amounts of it before. <laughs> I'm not like, I'm not like saying, oh, I never feel that way. I do. <laughs> so I just think it's, uh, I think it's good to keep it in check though. And I'm glad when I don't feel it and I don't feel it towards her, I guess, cause I have no personal stake in it with her. She didn't come after right. me. I you were actually would. fighting the battle yeah. directly with her. Right. Yeah. That, that makes sense. <sighs> um, I don't know, Carrie. Jack shared something with us that. Do you mind uh, shifting gears for a moment? No, let's do it. Jack shared something with us that. Uh, I mean, I'll just, show, I'll just, show, I'll just show you. Never mind. I won't introduce it. I'll just show you. Here's an article. Voluntourism, which is uh, a word I wasn't aware of, but whatever. Voluntourism is colonialism wrapped in the white savior complex. This is an article by uh, this woman who I think is is black. She's in Africa. She's in uh, Nairobi, maybe? I don't remember. I think she's in Kenya. But she is criticizing people who are going to Africa and providing um, aid because they're taking pictures of themselves with black people and... It's just all performative, and uh, I think she even uses the word allyship, but this is like performative allyship, and it's a form of colonialism because it's you're you know you're kind of imposing your you're looking at the black people as if they're uh, these um, less than human kind of they need they need you right and um, and you're kind of getting off on them needing you. Does that make sense? Yes, and this is something I've heard about a long time ago when I was in SJW. Um, it's funny that it's there. I mean, these things don't die; they just grow. <laughs> but um, it's also something, interestingly enough, that uh, a friend of mine who is not white, who went to a country in Africa for a while, um, was criticized for taking photos with children, children who asked to take photos with her, to be in photos with her. 
Right. Will you take a picture with me? We take. A, um, and and she she subscribes to the SJW ideology um, in some to some I think large degree still, yeah, a large degree. And it I think it it was interesting to me because she's someone who started to see I think in some ways what she might call simply the excesses. It's not that she thinks the ideology is wrong, which I do. I think it's a I think it's a feature, not a bug, <laughs> but. She started to see, she definitely saw something that she might think of as a bug in the ideology because she was being lambasted, a woman of color, for taking pictures with children of color in Africa, children who were happy and wanted to be photographed, and they were saying it was colonialist and all this stuff and opportunism and that you're using the kids in some way. And um, I've definitely, I've seen that before. And a lot of times, we've talked about this on the program before, but I think a lot of SJWs have not ever left the country. I think they're very privileged. I was thinking that, yeah. Yeah. And so they don't, they talk about things they have no idea about. Um, And I actually, I think it would be hilarious. I'm I'm thinking right now of one particular, like, super woke, wokest of the woke, woke, white female SJWs I know. Um, sending her to somewhere like Tanzania with a documentary crew would be hysterical because she would be so offensive while trying not to be, you know, cause they think through these, they have this internal filter that tells them how to behave or it, right. it tells them ways to treat people differently based on race. And so she would be doing all these things that would be just like, why are you treating me? Like, it's funny. Cause they say, don't treat, don't treat people in other countries as if they're aliens from Mars. Remember that's why Karen Templer got in trouble. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. Yet, and yet their ideology says, don't treat this person like a person. Treat them like an oppressed black person in another country that you're bit visiting and that you have so much power over and make sure you're aware of that power in your interactions and genuflect and do it. You know, like they actually do treat them like aliens. It's like, yeah, they're no, just people. I, I totally agree. And and actually the interesting <laughs> thing. So uh, actually, let me, let me, I'll pull this up just once more because um, so I was reading this and I was like, so is she against charity? But of course, no, she reveals herself at the end. She's not against charity at all. Uh, What she's saying, oh, by the way, and she does use white allyship, right? Performative nature of white allyship. She's not against charity at all. We aren't saying that donating to charity should be discouraged. So she has this whole article where she's like, hey, we don't need your help. We don't need to be saved. But can you still send your money? Just don't come with pictures. Like, I, yeah, give us she your wants money, the but money. Come with us. Yeah. She doesn't want the photos. Like she yeah. doesn't want the white people to show up. She just wants the white people's money. So don't show up and lecture us. Just hand us your cash, Daddy. That's what yeah. she's asking for. Um, and while obviously I disagree with this uh, mentality, I think she does have a point, honestly, about the performative nature of a lot of the leftists who go um, to do charity work. Um, I think a lot of it probably is driven by this, you know, she uses this analogy that someone who visits Africa recently, um, she, she uses the analogy that this is this person's, uh, virtual reality. They like, they hop in and out of virtual, virtual reality whenever they want and to like, to observe how the natives live, right. And, and go back. And I do, while I disagree with her criticism, because I think a lot of these people are, are there to help and they're they're trying to help and you, you should you know you shouldn't be criticizing people for taking pictures with with kids but uh i think there is an 
especially on the left, there is this performative nature where they want to be seen doing good. This is what virtue signaling is. And so this is kind of a next level virtue signaling. I think it's where the, and she even references this, this is where the word voluntourism comes from. It's like this volunteer, volunteerism, not volunteerism, uh, volunteer work plus tourism. It's like the tourism part is so that you can post stuff on Instagram and Facebook and your friends can see how caring you are and that you're doing this thing. Like, I think actually for the left, there is a lot of performative uh, uh, charity. And it doesn't mean the charity is bad. It doesn't mean you shouldn't, you should get mad at them for charity. But I think she's right. There actually is a lot of performative charity. I don't think her argument is correct. And I do think it's kind of funny that she has this whole, we don't need your, we don't need your performative charity, but can you just send a check? Um, so here's, you've touched on something really important. Uh, there is an amount of, we know this, there's, there's, there, that's why we talk about virtue signaling. There is an amount of performance that happens in this ideology. And, um, the more of the, they, they put everyone in these boxes based on what groups you're in, right? So you're either privileged or marginalized, oppressor or oppressed, right? The more of the quote unquote privileged and oppressor boxes you check off, the more pressure there is for you to virtue signal and to be a quote performative ally um, to show that you're one of the good ones. And, and, and the weird thing is this ideology incentivizes that and then also attacks it. Yes. And that that's what, <laughs> yes, it's both. They incentivize it. Um, and we talked about this in the interview with little ragamuffin. So little ragamuffin had a pattern called the good old boy pattern. It was a Western shirt pattern. And for over a year, this pattern had been on her website and most of her models are volunteers who get free patterns from her. And they, and most of the, uh, models of the shirt were men of color just so happened to be men of color. A year later, after she's put this pattern out, they the SJWs find her and start coming after her saying, good old boy is a racist phrase. And da, 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 da. They look at the fact that many of her models of men of color and they say, you're racist. You're using men of color as tokens. No, those men of color volunteered to do this. You're, you guys are cr crazy and racist because you can look at a man of color who's wearing this shirt and his wife of color who made it perhaps and say, oh, they, they must be internally racist towards themselves, which is ridiculous. Um, but the funny thing is, if she hadn't, if she had, so they attacked her for having men of color as models saying they were tokens. If she hadn't have had men of color as models, if it had if it had by chance been all white men in the pictures, they would have said, see, you're, see, you're always racist. You're racist because there's no men of color in the pictures. You need to add men of color. So then what happens if, let's say you're the type of person who bows to the mob. She didn't, by the way. But let's say you're the person who bows to the type of person who bows to the mob. A lot of people bowed to the mob in the SJW knitting wars. A lot of these designers and yarn makers started bowing. I commit to doing better and I'm going to read all the propaganda books you tell me to read. And I'm going to read Robin D'Angelo and I'm going to put models of color in all my pictures. And they started going out of their way, putting all their items on pictures of women of color. And then what happens? The SJWs say, see, look at your performative allyship. <laughs> Look at you right. putting all these pictures, all these hats and stuff on women of color. The trick here is you're not meant to win in this ideology. It's about them controlling you forever. <laughs> like, it's just you're never, there's, there's, there's no right answer. So don't play the game in the first place. Don't buy into something that tells you to do things because you care about what people think. 
that's the wrong motive. That's the wrong reason. If you're going on a mission trip to somewhere in Africa and you're taking pictures and posting them because you want people to think of you as a good ally and you're posting those pictures because you want to showcase how good you are, you are engaging in performative, something of a performative nature. You are looking for kudos and attention. And people do this in all kinds of ways. It's not necessarily related to ideology. I see people do this all the time about, you know, like, yes, yesterday and I saw a homeless man and I gave him $5 and I felt, and it's like, you're posting that because you want people to know you gave the homeless guy $5. Like you're, you want something for it. And so, um, so you're right. I, I, I'm sorry. I'm talking a long time, but, um, but, but the ideology both sets you up to do this. They tell you everything will be okay if you do what they say and you, and, and you, you virtue signal in this way. And then when you do virtue signal, they're going to attack you for it. So yep. just do, just be a good person. Don't do it for what other people think. <laughs> yep, absolutely. Um, and actually, uh, J.M. Uh, Galloway in uh, chat earlier said, in the old days, they called those folks affected. And and he referenced pathological altruism. Like, yeah, there is this performative kind of like, sh- like I have to show that I'm altruistic to like, and there's like the pathology to it and demonstrating it. And um uh, yeah, if you play that game, you lose, as Carrie just said, right? The game is set up for you to lose. So uh, we should thank Miles Kinslow just gave us 10 bucks, Carrie, and he says, hey, guys, love the show. Also, breaking, this is breaking news, CNN contributor and former Florida governor Democrat candidate Andrew Gillum, I'm not trying to pronounce that, was found in a hotel inebriated with a man who overdosed from meth. So there's some drama happening on <laughs> uh, in Florida. I don't know what to make of all of that. I don't know too much about Andrew. <laughs> I don't Willem, know too much about that either. But uh, I guess I do want to say- being found inebriated in a hotel with someone who overdosed on meth, probably not good for your political career. Uh, I do want to say not to ignore that. Thank you very much for the super chat. Um, I just want to tag. I don't I don't want to leave what I that long thing I said without tagging one thing on the end. As Laura mentioned, sometimes you need to bring attention to a cause. Of course you do. And and. And absolutely, there's always going to be a mixture. Look, none of us are pure. There's always going to be a mixture of ego and stuff. That's why my biggest prayer for myself almost every day, one of the biggest prayers I do is take my ego out of things because that's a human thing to have ego and need validation and whatever. And and I don't want to have it there. And and uh, so so anyway, my, my point is you're, you're never going to be able to ex- extract it entirely. But but yeah, you have to co- bring attention to things sometimes. I, my cousin, one of my cousins, the one with 19 children. Um, I love that she, you have a cousin with 19 children. <laughs> her son. So my cousins, if you guys are new to the show, my cousin Kelly Jo Bates has a show um, on the Up Network. Uh, the new The new show is called. I always get them confused. The old show was called the United Bates of America on TLC. The new show is called bringing up Bates. Anyway, her son Lawson Bates, he just did a whole thing. He goes on mission trips a lot to the Philippines and he just did a whole thing where there was a little girl there who he's met several times who needed like a life-saving operation. And he was posting about it and posting photos of himself with her in the hospital and posting all this, you know, now you could look at that and say, Oh, you're virtue signaling that you're helping this girl, but he was raising money for her surgery you know, and he raised and he raised money for her surgery. And so, you know, it's not um, I'm, I'm certainly not criticizing like this woman in this article is 
anytime anybody posts something trying to get bring attention to a cause, I'm not criticizing that at all. And I didn't want anybody to misinterpret that. So no, no, I, I get it. And and actually, I think often, though, you can tell when someone's trying to bring attention to the cause or bringing attention to themselves. Um, so when the focus is on the plight of the person they're trying to help, that's they're bringing attention to the cause. When the focus is on themselves, they're bringing attention to themselves. And um, yeah, maybe it's a fine line and motive matters and all that kind of stuff. But you know, if you really cared about uh, populations that are suffering, you know what you would do rather than send dollars? Because actually, uh, we can make arguments about why sending foreign aid actually is what's keeping Africa poor. Um, what you do is you teach them capitalism. What you do is you teach them, this is how we became wealthy. We were poor also. Then we became wealthy. This is how we did it. We did it through capitalism. We did it through recognizing individual rights, recognizing private property, allowing people to, um, allowing the creative potential of the market to uh, generate ideas that could bubble up to the top and, and become implemented. And we, we, had, we had a free market, somewhat free market. Um, capitalism is what brought us out of poverty because remember, everyone throughout history has always been in poverty. Poverty is not new. Poverty is not, the question isn't what causes poverty, like birth causes poverty. Giving, like being alive causes poverty. Poverty is the natural state of all animals, including man. Why are we not poor? Capitalism. Capitalism is why we're not poor. Capitalism was unique. Capitalism was allowed us to explode uh, financially. And so if you care about these people, you're dropping copies of the Constitution. You're teaching them about uh, Milton Friedman. You're, you know, you're bringing them, uh, I don't know, you're bringing them John Locke. You're, you're, uh, you're teaching them about the system that enabled us to be self-sustaining and actually productive. You're not treating them like pets, which is what foreign aid does. Foreign aid drops money onto countries of poor people. Um, let, and, and let's say that, let's say you even, let's say you just drop corn or wheat or whatever. You drop something, rice. Okay, well, guess what you just did to the price of rice in that country? You just drove it through the floor and all the rice farmers who you need actually to be self-sustaining who could maybe make a living they're going to go out of business because you're throwing rice on the market so all these stupid temporary measures that make you feel good about yourself are not long-term helping people what's helping people is teaching them how to help themselves it's teaching them how to help themselves and there are some charities that teach people how to help themselves but by and large a lot of it is just writing checks, dropping money on countries. 90% of the money gets given away to friends of friends and you used to buy weapons or do whatever, or palaces. Uh, and even the money that's not, uh, is not long-term helping people. It's just upsetting the market. Teach them free market economics. Teach them individual rights. Teach them to have a constitution similar to the US. Teach them a structure of government that actually uh, protects human rights and teach them how to thrive on their own. That's what you do yeah. if you care. This is the, um, as someone pointed out in chat, this is the the old adage about teach a man to fish and feed him for a lifetime versus teach a man, versus give a man a fish, right? <laughs> yeah, sorry. Net Fragility said, I think you meant Milton Bradley or maybe Morgan Freeman. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm sorry, uh, Net Fragility. I meant, uh, I meant Milton Keynes. That's what I, <laughs> that's who I meant. <laughs> uh, yeah teach them not to vote for socialists exactly ninja kitty um that's what it is but 
Man, some of the most well, racist we see people this. I see are on the left, and they are. I mean, yeah, there's racism on the right, but there are some of the most racist, condescending, racist jerks are on the left, and they're they're the loudest about how virtuous they are, and they view these people like, well, they they need us to be doing all this stuff for them. They don't need you. They don't need you. The only thing you've got is knowledge about how we got from poor to where we are now. Why don't you just go give them that knowledge and stop lying to them about the, the virtues of communism and dropping money on their economy? Oh, sorry. I was going to say, uh, well, I have, a, I have a point to make about what you're saying that applies here, you know, within our own country, and that's the, the way that we treat homelessness the government often treats it, which is just about giving handouts and and uh, allowing people to continue to live in toxic situations or even encouraging them to stay dependent on drugs that they're dependent on. Just the Whereas, whole purpose of the welfare state is to keep them down. Is to keep them down. Whereas um, there's a place here in Austin called Community First. It's privately funded. It's a Christian organization. And I did a, I took a tour of that place, and it was amazing. They, it's a, uh, they have like 200 beds, I think. They're, they're all little tiny houses, and like mobile homes, and they have, um, everyone has to have pay a meager amount of rent, and everyone has to have some kind of job. Like there's the guy who makes pickles, and there's the person who cuts the hair, and it's about into, and then they have community events where people from outside the community. People, people come in, people like me, whoever can come in. They have um, arts and entertainment and stuff and have a big bonfire. They integrate people back into the community, but they do it by making them feel valuable and by requiring some type of work and payment of payment for rent, you know, um, even though it's a meager amount, but it's, it's something. So right. I, uh, I did want to say to go back. I don't want to get way off subject, but okay. somebody said something funny in the chat People were talking about the teach Amanda fish thing, and oh, mm -hmm. Elva Kara says, "Give a man a fish and he'll eat for a day. Teach a man to fish and he'll sit in a boat and drink beer all day." <laughs> <laughs> which, which made me think. I just I forgot to mention this when I was judging what everyone was buying at Costco. Well, then after I went to the grocery store, I went to H E B, and there was a guy. Everybody was the crazy lines there too, and get there was a guy there. It made me laugh so hard. His grocery cart. The top part was just full of those big bulk toilet paper pack packages. He had he was buying like four or five of them. They were out at Costco, but they had it at the grocery store. So he was buying a bunch of those. And then the bottom of his cart was full of huge flats of beer. <laughs> it was just <laughs> toilet paper and beer. <laughs> well, you know, you got to – if part of surviving uh, a crisis is mentally surviving the crisis, and maybe he needs his beer to get through. Um okay. By the way, uh, Jason M. in chat says, with respect, Carter, I think it's best to advocate for a mixed economy, not an Ayn Rand slash libertarian style market economy. I get that you think that, Jason. You are free to advocate for that. I am an anarchist who believes that the initiation of use of force is wrong in all cases, and that includes uh, government intervention in the private market. So I am going to advocate for free markets. You are feel free to advocate for mixed economy. We can debate about it someday. But that's where I'm coming from. I, Carrie probably doesn't agree completely, but when I advocate, just to be clear, I'm advocating for absolute unfettered free market capitalism all right carrie doesn't care we got i got too close to economics now you can see carrie's like <laughs> eyes start to uh-oh uh-oh uh, 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 uh. here's what happens i go into a little cottage in my mind kidding <laughs> 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 sorry 
Hell yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Well, maybe we can end the show soon. I mean, I don't have yeah. a lot more to talk about. Um, Trump was supposed to do his, uh, he's doing another coronavirus update. I'm, I have, uh, I actually have C-SPAN sitting here, but I don't think it started yet unless C-SPAN's YouTube just has, is frozen. I don't think he started to give his update. Um, but you know, I don't have anything else super urgent to talk about. Oh, you know what? Jack wanted to mention this. So I guess we can mention this. It's, it's close to Jack's heart. I don't know why, but we love you, Jack. Jack uh, would like to point out that Senk Unger, remember, he's the uh, Young Turks dude. You know who he is, right, Carrie? Yeah, I definitely know who he is. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I guess, so when Katie Hill resigned from Congress uh, because she was caught up in, you know, some, ta- quote, tawdry sexual stuff, and instead of fighting it, she just resigned and said, it's because I'm a woman I was forced out. Uh because that's better than actually fighting it. Um, anyway, she resigned. Her seat came open in Southern California. And uh, I guess Senk decided to throw his hat in the ring here. Um, he spent, let's see, he raised over a million dollars. He raised, yeah, just, just over a million dollars. And he came in, I don't know if it was last, but it was fourth. Um Christy Smith got 35% of the vote and and was the leading, and then two Republicans, and then Senk got 6.2% of the vote. The person who won spent a fifth of his uh, money that Senk spent, so they spent like 200 k and he spent a million bucks. And I guess this, I guess probably the, why, the reason, I don't know if Jack can tell me privately why he really likes this story, but I think maybe the reason is it is, um, it is, heartening to realize that you can't just you know some of these sjw's sank is definitely one he's the guy behind these justice democrats by the way one of the guys behind justice democrats that the squad uh you can't just buy your way into office and um even when he spends a bunch of money it doesn't actually work and his message wasn't resonating so that's uh that's uh, an optimistic view of of the world i think that's good it's good to know that that's happening we should thank yarn hoarder aka fiber art freak who just uh, gave us ten bucks, saying loving this live? And she gave us twenty bucks. Oh, I, two, did she give us? Oh, tens. I thought I was doubled. Okay, she gave us twenty. She gave yeah. us ten bucks twice. Loving thank this you, live, lady. helping get through workday. Yes, thank you. Um, thank, thank you, you very much. Yeah. Um, I don't really care about the Chank story because it's about money, but I do care. <laughs> <laughs> Nicole Prato like, says his meltdown at the airport was delightful. I didn't see yeah, that. Okay, wait, wait, wait. That's what I want to talk about. Oh, okay. You're like talking about, you spent this money and this money and money. I'm like, okay, just get to the airport stuff. He, 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 he <laughs> there's a video of him. He thought this is, this is, this I think is more about people again, to go back to the motivations and the character of the people who are the le- the leaders of this SJW movement. I think it illustrates that, but more than that, I think it just illustrates someone who has become, I used to, I used to work with people in entertainment. You can become divorced enough from reality where everyone around you is kissing your butt and talk about your ego. Your ego gets really big. You buy into your own hype about how important and special you are and you're not. <laughs> nobody is and then you and then you buy into that and and you, you lose the perspective and the ability to even realize what makes you look good and what makes you look bad anymore 
and he's in a video that he thought made him look good. He took and live streamed a video himself on his phone at the oh, airport. Oh, he streamed it. He streamed it, screaming at and berating American Airlines employees because the flight was delayed four hours. He screamed and berated them so much that they kicked him off the flight because the pilot didn't feel comfortable flying with him after he had been live streaming and screaming at them. Um, <laughs> and But the crazy thing is, and he put the video up so you can watch it. I like watching stuff like that. It's funny. Thank you for bringing this up, Nicole. Because, again, it illustrates the character, but it also shows you what not to be. I'm always like, whenever, when, any, when anything like this happens, it's like, this, take it as a warning. Don't, don't, I don't, there's no reason to have schadenfreude over that happening to Chank or lethal gloating or whatever. I look at that and go, there before the grace of God goes me. <laughs> I never want to be in a position where I've become, I've drank my own Kool-Aid to the point where I think streaming myself behaving like an ass is a good idea and I don't realize I'm the one in bad behavior. I don't ever want to be there. So look at stuff like that. I say as a warning, like, don't, Hey, <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I got excited about that. Sorry. I talked over. I know. You. No, I, it's, uh, <laughs> I, I saw there was a video of him, but I don't, I don't, I don't care about the guy at all. Uh, so I don't, I don't know. I know a lot of people care about the young Turks and him. I just don't care. I care what he's doing with the justice Democrats because they are being semi-effective. Um, doing that, but yeah, yeah, I don't really care anything else. Trump is actually live now talking about the coronavirus. So let's go watch um, it. I got to go to the bathroom anyway. Um, (laughs) thank you guys. (laughs) Thank you guys for tuning in. Thank you everyone for the, uh, super chats and for the donations. Thank you. If you want to subscribe, um, financially, you can also go to subscribestar.com and find us. We're, uh, unsafe space on Subscribestar. You can do a monthly donation or you can just do a one-time tip, whatever you want to do. Uh, book club again, is coming up pretty soon now on 22nd of March is a Sunday. We're going to be discussing live at 7 PM central time. And, um, Oh, uh, someone in chat reminded us if you're in the chat right now, hit like on the video because presumably, the algorithm will be affected in a positive way if you hit like. Uh, yes, it's an indicator. Go round up your posse and make them hit like. Yeah, yeah. I think Ninja Kitty took a bathroom break earlier. Oh well. <laughs> Ninja Kitty is the uh, Ninja Kitty is the the rallier of the troops. Um, Jason M also says, please have Orwell's Animal Farm in your book club. Uh, you know, I just had to read it recently, uh, like a year ago again, because my daughter read it um, and. Uh, it is good. Maybe we should. It's a fun and easy one to 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 do, and we do. We should do fiction next. So maybe we should do that, Carrie. What do you think? Yeah, I, there's a lot of books I want to do in book club. I want to read a Thomas Sowell book at some point. Um, we'll probably do fiction after this one since this one's nonfiction. But yeah. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, take care, everyone. Have a great weekend. We will see you on Monday. Stay safe and um, don't go to parties like Carrie is. Uh, stay stay home if you can. But but like and subscribe and share. All right. <laughs> Bye, Bye, guys. Bye.